Good morning, everyone. Do keep your Bibles open. I'm not going to be putting the verses up on the screen. We're going to be looking at them in our Bibles, uh, as we did on a number of other weeks, uh, through this series. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word, uh, that it not only teaches us how to live, uh, but it reveals your heart. So work in us by the same spirit that has revealed your word, that our hearts and minds and actions may align with yours and be pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The times we live in uh, shape how we live. Thanks, Ian. I'm giving him cues today because I haven't left a piece of paper over there, but uh, we'll all run along with that just fine. Uh, some of you may remember, I don't think anyone's old enough, but you might have been children at the time uh, when World War II uh, took place, or certainly when it came to an end. And the austerity that was needed at the end of that, or even during it, uh, the importance of focusing everyone's efforts uh, on the great conflict that needed to be won. In more re uh, and, and you might have experienced parents or grandparents passing on the stories of what that was like and the difference between then and now. Uh, um, a happier occasion was the Sydney Olympics. Who remembers the Sydney Olympics? You know, they were 23 years ago. So there are people here who are like, that happened before I was born. You people are so old. Uh, the Sydney Olympics, getting ready for it, there were practices, there was transport. We were told to leave Sydney to make room for the people who were coming to Sydney. We had four weeks school holidays. I'm just going to leave that with the chips and chat people. Uh, and it, it was a great experience. I was a little bit cynical beforehand, but once I went to one of the events, I was like, wow, this is extraordinary. And so people pass on what a difference it made in light of such a significant and uh, uh, immense event taking place in Sydney. Of course, there are uh, less uh, happy memories as well the year after uh, the world changed, the modern times changed from uh, before 9-11 and after 9-11. Uh, catching a plane is a really different experience now post 9-11 in the security and what you can do and there'll be no going, being asked uh, to go up to the cockpit even if you do have a high score on Tetris. <laughs> the train stations have see-through bins now which we never had before, and we could go on. And we talk, don't we, to one another of the times we lived in and the difference that they made. And of course, most recently, we've all lived through and together as a church, the COVID pandemic. It too changed how we lived and how we stayed apart and what we did on computers and how we had uh, exercise was uh, rationed, so as to speak. I mean, that suited some of us. It just uh, confirmed what we'd always believed, that exercise should be rationed. But the times we live in affect how we live. And the times in which the Corinthians lived, uh, in many ways like our own, back in the days of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, uh, are a time at which an extraordinary event that would change their lives and indeed has changed ours too 
had taken place. They had heard the good news of the message of the Lord Jesus. They were smack bang in the middle of the Roman Empire, an empire and a way of seeing the world that shaped them and how they lived. But as Peter said, as we were beginning, this life-changing transformation had taken place when they had heard about Jesus and had accepted the message which moved them from being God's enemies to being his holy people. What we've been hearing in 1 Corinthians as we've been reading through it is what difference that makes in how we live. Uh, Not that we have to earn God's forgiveness, but in response to his extraordinary kindness, we live our lives in step with him, even to the point of turning back and asking for forgiveness when we fail. And so over these last uh, few weeks, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 and 7, uh, talking as they do about sexual morality and sexual immorality, talking about marriage, talking about singleness. Uh, Indeed, uh, very much uh, as big a theme is how we care for one another as a church and encourage one another on in holiness. But we come to the last of the three sections we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 7 today, and I'm going to do what I did uh, in some previous weeks, uh, uh, read it, but stop and uh, give some comments as we go, as we seek to hear God's voice uh, from this passage together. So let me read from verse 25. Uh, It begins, Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, there's a couple of things uh, to notice right here at the outset. Uh, This is one of those uh, markers, one of those headlines of uh, a a somewhat new topic that Paul used first at the beginning of chapter 7 when he said, uh, you know, uh, now for the matters you wrote about. And there'll be more in chapter 8 and in what follows. And so he's not actually bringing this up in the first place himself. He's responding uh, to questions he'd been asked. Another thing to realise is when he talks about virgins here, it's the same word, the same language of a young woman. The expectation is that one is one and the same. But as you read on here, he's actually not just talking to young women's situation. He's talking to those Uh, men and women who have never been married, who are single but are engaged, or what did they used to call it in the olden days? Betrothed. Oh, (laughs) not so olden days, I should say. Uh, And so just bear that in mind because, in fact, I've heard the, the claim that Christianity has this fascination with virginity and, and actually that's not what the Bible teaches Uh, And in fact, that is not the main theme that is going on here. Nonetheless, this is a circumstance in which people find themselves. And Paul says, uh, when he says, I have no command from the Lord, it's not that he's saying, well, this isn't as important as what Jesus said. He's simply recognising that Jesus didn't say something specifically at the time he was preaching and teaching. But as we heard uh, in the first week of chapter 7, where he used a similar phrase, Uh, that doesn't mean that it is any less authoritative. 
Paul's words are the written word of God. They're the words of Christ. They stand equal to the Lord Jesus because they're Jesus' words to us. And so, so we listen, we pay attention, and we respond. Verse 26, because of the present crisis, I'll come back to that in a minute, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Engaged? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. Now, do you hear the chorus that we've heard uh, last week uh, back here? So in verses 17 to 24, we heard it three times. I'll just read out one of them in the last verse before our passage. The principle that's at play here, that's shaping what Paul said earlier in chapter 7 and here in chapter 7 is this. Verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And so he says here, are you engaged to be married? Fine, get married. Uh, are you not engaged? You don't need to get married. Uh, verse 28, if you're single and get married, you have not sinned. Uh, he's saying these things do not change because you have gone from being unholy to being one of the holy people of God. It's a, a life circumstance, a social circumstance like those he talked about last week, whether you were Jew or not a Jew, whether you were a freed person or a slave. Then he goes on to say, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want to spare you this. Now, uh, I could say something funny here like, uh, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. I, I know no troubles in my marriage. Uh, but that would only be uh, joking. I want to come back uh, to verse 26. You remember where I said we'll come back to what this present crisis is? Well, some have, some have looked deeply into this. They've thought to understand what was the particular situation in, uh, in Corinth at this time when really there isn't actually that much to answer that question. Rather, I think uh, what he's thinking about is how we live uh, in the times in which we live where we live for the new age and not the old age that is coming to an end. He describes it as uh, living, well, elsewhere in the scriptures, but the same title applies here, as living in the last days. Okay? So there's, a, there's something going on in this passage. If it's not in first and foremost about virgins, it's about betrothed people. In fact, it's not actually as much about betrothed people as it is about the time we're living in and how that affects how we live. And so uh, we are living in the last days and what he's just said about the troubles those who are married will face uh, is shaped by the reality of the times in which we live. And so uh, let's understand that better. We'll read from verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Uh, those who are happy 
as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. And so what you pick up, I hope you uh, heard it coming through, is that there's a real urgency in Paul's mind. It shapes how he sees the world just as it's shaped, he's shaped by the way God sees the world. And we've talked about it in different ways as a church in the past. We've talked about it, about living in the overlap of the ages. We've talked about it in terms of living in the second to last chapter of God's great plans, you know, for the plan that started at creation and has gone through to Jesus. We now live in the second to last chapter, and the last chapter will be when Jesus returns. Uh, but uh, I thought I'd put up this picture that we've used in the past uh, where we are people, do you see the you are here? It's a bit like going to the Westfield shops or Lennox shops, isn't it? Uh, we are there where along the bottom line, the old age began at creation and flowed through the Old Testament. And there's this extraordinary event that we've already talked about, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he rose from the dead, he began the new age uh, and the new age will continue, but the old age will soon come to an end when Jesus returns. And so this is, this is what's really going on in the world. Even when people will look around and say, well, all I can see is all there is. That's very much Sydney today, isn't it? Uh, and our, amongst our family and amongst our friends. But what we see here is a changed perspective. Now, earlier in chapter 7, uh, Paul was sort of addressing a Greek, Greek and Roman sort of way of thinking about the world, of sort of, you know, the best life is uh, being free of the body and all the sort of physical aspects of living. Uh, uh, but as I was talking with Dave during the week and thinking about how does this passage how does it land with us? That's not really our thing, is it? <laughs> That's not really our problem. Our problem is a view of the world that says, all you can see is all there is. Uh, to live for here and now. To eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow I die. To accumulate as much as I can for my own enjoyment in order to pass on to my children. And that is the community and the mindset and the culture uh, that we live in amongst and which we are equally uh, drawn to pursue. Indeed, it's one of those things where mastering, uh, where we've mastered ignoring God. We just cut him out of the picture, you know, put up the fences around what we can see simply because we can't see or he doesn't, show us himself in the way we would choose. But if that is true, we should embrace it. Make the most of it. Live wisely. Live in light of the times in which we live. But it is not. And yet it is a very real danger for us that we are drawn to. But we, God tells us, 
may be transformed by our trust in the Lord Jesus. And that is our joy that God would do that work in us and so too bring this changed perspective. Uh, Do you see the challenge in the words of verses 29 to 31? Feelings of mourning, he says, set them aside as if you are not mourning. Feelings of happiness, as if you are not happy. The things you buy, as if you will not keep them. And then, of course, he's mentioned our marriages. For those who are married to live as they are not. Living in the 2020s, the 21st century uh, certainly affects how we live, but there is a greater realm that transforms how we live, and it is the kingdom of God. These things will not pass between the end of the old age and into the new. Our feelings, what we've collected to ourselves, even our marriages. That's what we heard in Luke chapter 20, wasn't it? I did hear a preacher say, uh, recognising what Jesus taught, that actually marriage is something that's time-bound. It's only for this age. Uh, It will end when the overlap of the ages end. He said, well, we won't be married, uh, my wife and I, we won't be married in heaven, but we have asked to sit next to each other. What is it? that draws our attention, that would have us uh, uh, turn our hearts to it uh, as we live in this world? Is it Sydney real estate? Is it multiplying the activities that we can do ourselves or our children? Is it the opportunities to travel or go on cruises or to have new experiences? Is it the degree of education or where we can get it from? None of those things are bad in themselves. But it does come down to how we view them. Whether we are living as if all you can see is all there is, or whether this extraordinary change is being brought about us by God's kindness in us that we live now with our eyes to the life to come. Uh, One of the new phrases uh, that I've heard around about, uh, when I say new, I think that could be that it's 10 or 15 years old, but uh, that just reflects more on me, is living my best life. Have you heard that? Heard that phrase? Uh, I I gather living my best life is doing all of the things, having these ingredients brought together in the sort of the, the great dish that is my life, which brings me the greatest happiness. And yet, if you treat the sorts of things we've been talking about uh, as, as your feelings and uh, as what you have and even as your marriage as being the most essential ingredients of life, you fail to recognise reality. They will fade away. They are great and enjoyable things, but they are not what life is about. And so it's in that contribution, above all else, 
that today's passage from verses 25 to 40 makes to us and has made to everything Paul has said before in 1 Corinthians and indeed what he will say after and we'll come back to chapters 8 and following next year. But how then, uh, I expect if you're thinking and you've got questions for yourself, you think, well, can we just get to the marriageness, the marriages, the singleness and what it means to be devoted? I take it that what Paul's getting at uh, in the words that follow in verse 32, which in a lot of ways mirror the ones at the beginning of our passage today, is that marriage comes with a set of responsibilities that you don't have when you are single. As I read it out, you have to think about that as we hear what Paul says. Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undevoted, undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, this isn't to say that a married couple can't be devoted to the Lord, uh, but it recognises that a married couple have responsibilities to each other. There's a a certain intensiveness of responsibility there that is different from being single. And we all and each have a certain capacity and so that places limits on the extent of involvement uh, or energy we can turn to the service of the kingdom outside of that relationship. Have a think about with me for a moment. What are the sort of responsibilities that uh, go with being married? Uh, You have your responsibilities to your spouse. Uh, If you have children, you'll have responsibilities to look after and care for and raise them. Uh, There's the complexities of being in such a close relationship with spouse or children. Uh, Not least my own struggle against sin that I walk with uh, each day, let alone when I add the other persons into the mix. Uh, Marriage is an extraordinary thing when you think about it, to put two two sinful people together in a room and lock the door and throw away the key. And then on top of that are the impacts of sin on health and the sickness and even death, which we do experience individually, uh, but likewise have their own shape in marriage. Verse 28, uh, uh, there are many troubles in this life. Actually, sometimes I wonder with the complexity, and I have a a special privilege to see into uh, a wide group of people's lives, sometimes I wonder with all of these challenges, how we actually get anything done. (laughs) Now, what he's not saying here is it's inappropriate for married uh, people to be devoted to pleasing their spouse. You saw that, didn't you? That's not what he's saying. Uh, In fact, the beginning of chapter 7 makes this very clear, that those who are already married 
uh, they were started, the Corinthians were starting to think about whether they should get divorced or separate because of the times. But no, he says, no, no, you have a responsibility to each other. It is a good thing and embrace it. What he is saying is that if you have never been married or you once were married and are now single, you have a unique opportunity to devote yourself to serving the Lord, the Lord of the kingdom of God and serving its imminent arrival in all its fullness in how you live in godliness and holiness in love of God and love of your neighbour, using your time and talent and treasure and relationships, your very being focused on the kingdom. So back to those uh, now who are engaged, uh, we read from verse 36. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably toward the virgin he is engaged to, that is to say that they've got this promise but it hasn't actually been fulfilled yet, uh, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do so, uh, do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. And so remember that does better in light of what we've already heard about Paul's view of marriage. Now, I take it there are some implications for us as Christians, and one of the challenges in these uh, last few weeks has been to be listening for, okay, where does this land for me, uh, and just be thinking about my own situation, whether I'm single or married or engaged, as we're talking about here. Uh, but I do want to encourage you, just as uh, Paul has uh, from the beginning of his letter, but particularly since chapter 5, that the reason we all benefit from hearing this is because God has given us each other so that we might encourage one another to walk in holiness, to respond to the grace of God uh, in godly obedience. And so I think one of the things that is really helpful and I know Louise and I, uh, in our family, we've got three sons who are now adults, uh, but one of the things that we still do now, that we started doing a little while ago because uh, of God's word in this passage, is not to speak of when you get married, but rather if you get married. Can you see the difference? And words shape how we think. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Uh, and so if they get married, that'd be great. And if they don't get married, that'll be fine too. In fact, Paul says they can devote themselves even more to the kingdom than their mother and father can. The other thing that is worth mentioning here is when people, uh, <laughs> and I think, I think of myself as a young man, okay? So just put yourself in those shoes, uh, where he talks of passions and controlling passions 
let's be clear that if someone is engaged and in this relationship or in the, a relationship that is similar, he's saying, don't act with sexual immorality, act with sexual morality, where that sort of intimacy is for within marriage. He's not saying if you feel uh, strong desires, just go out and marry the first person you can uh, because uh, that would be to suggest that the relationship, the one fleshness, is just all about the physical. Uh, but it is a relationship of sharing your very self. Uh, and I expect I don't need to, to tell you uh, that that would be foolish to rush off uh, and just pull this verse out of its context. The other thing that it's worth saying at this point I, I was uh, born into, I grew up going to the Roman Catholic Church where they have nuns and brothers and, and various other orders and down through the history of uh, uh, since Jesus' death and resurrection there have been uh, numbers of people who have, who have seen uh, singleness and celibacy as a higher calling which has arisen from what we read here and yet has gone beyond it to do the very opposite of what Paul said. Living a single life is not more holy than living a married life. Each of us is to be godly in whichever we find ourselves. We come to verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Marriage is for life. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. We're going to keep reminding ourselves uh, that we live at a point 2,000 years on from Paul and the arrival uh, of the good news and grace of God through Jesus. And so... Uh, they were at a point where they're, they're trying to work this stuff out for the first time. We get the benefit of standing on the shoulders of those who've come before uh, uh, as well. And so when he says she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must be belong to the Lord, we recognise, and we talked about this last week, uh, the significance of if you are going to share yourself with another person and you're not yet married so you have a choice then marry someone who shares the intimacy you share with Christ. Don't go walking down the path anywhere near that sort of relationship with someone who doesn't. That's God's good word to us, that we might have life even amongst the many troubles that exist in this life. We're going to draw to a close one of the great things Paul has been doing uh, for us that God's word does for us is it sets boundaries uh, to keep the good things of God, to keep us safe and experiencing them the way God intended. Where our experience is when you move outside of those boundaries, uh, even when we believe it might be better for us or God is holding back something from us, we don't actually experience uh, his great goodness. And so within those boundaries, the other thing that's become clear is that we have a great deal of choice. 
you can stay single, you can get married, uh, you don't have to find the one in eight billion people who is the one. Uh, I'm married to Louise, I'm very grateful to be so, but I could have married other people, she could have married other people. Uh, we have freedom and responsibilities to make decisions in light of the age in which we live. My prayer for us, and I hope it's yours for me, is that we might understand the times we live in oh so clearly as to make choices about what we do now in life of the life which is ours and is to come. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much for the life you have given each of us. A life that might be led in singleness and in marriage. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us as a church to care for one another, single or married, as we walk in this life in light of the life to come. Help us to have empathy and thoughtful insight into each other's lives and the challenges that our different situations might bring. Help us not to presume uh, one another think the same way as we do in our varied circumstances, but conform all our thoughts the thoughts of every one of us, to your heart, to holy living, to rejoicing in the joy that it is to know and trust Jesus, and likewise the obedience that flows from that faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.